This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. In August, Congress passed the Honoring Our Pact Act, intended to significantly improve health care access and funding for veterans who were exposed to toxic substances during military service. A team at West Virginia University is studying the exposure to military burn pits. I believe we're going to start with rubber, plastics, uh, styrofoam, uh, cardboard, and just regular wood chips with sawdust. Basically, like I said, try to mimic what happens at the actual uh, burn pits. That story coming up this West Virginia morning. The Community of Institute is featured in two documentaries about environmental safety and accountability. Caroline McGregor reports. The mini documentaries are part of the series Films for Our Future and are hosted by Our Future West Virginia and the North Carolina production company Working Films. Chemical Valley follows the community of Institute in Kanawha County and explores the conflict of an economy dependent on chemical plants. Out of Air examines what happens when environmental resources are turned into a commodity. Kathy Ferguson, Interim Executive Director of Our Future West Virginia, said both movies underscore how communities of color and lower wealth are disproportionately impacted by environmental injustices. It's just a a new chemical. Um, I like to refer to it as the chemical du jour that we're having to, to suffer and struggle with. And how can we stop these things from happening? Both films will be screened outdoors on Thursday, October 5th at Charleston's Shawnee Park. More information on other showings can be found at westvirginiapublic.org. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Caroline McGregor in Charleston. Appalachian Power executives testified that they're still having problems getting coal for their West Virginia power plants. Curtis Tate has the story. The West Virginia Public Service Commission held an evidentiary hearing Tuesday and Wednesday. Appalachian Power is seeking approval to recover nearly $300 million from ratepayers. Last year, the price of natural gas and coal rose sharply worldwide. The company then had problems getting coal for its three West Virginia power plants. The company testified that it had to make tough choices. It could burn through its coal supplies in the fall and risk running out during the peak winter months. Or it could conserve the coal and purchase power from the grid to supply its customers. It purchased power, which was costly. John Scalzo, vice president of regulatory and finance for Appalachian Power, told commissioners he couldn't find enough coal to run the plants instead. I've been pounding the pavement for the last year. That coal doesn't exist. So it's not like we're not trying to run or try to get it. It's just not there. Scalzo added that the fortunes for the coal industry turned on a dime last year and could not meet the demand. Of the three West Virginia power plants, John Amos, Mountaineer, and Mitchell, only one, Mountaineer, is currently operating, the company told the PSC. Scalzo testified that the other plants would be running more if coal were available to run them. He also said the company's decarbonization goals were not behind any outages at the plants. If we had more coal, we would have ran the units more when they were available. There's no doubt in my mind. There's no carbon goal here. You know, you know. I'm a simple accountant, and I I like to, you know, I would run the units because they were economical if I had coal, because that's the best thing for the customer. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Curtis Tate in Charleston. Appalachian Power is an underwriter of West Virginia Public Broadcasting. U.S. Senator Joe Manchin isn't up for re-election until 2024, but he's busy defining a political legacy to run on. 
His role in passing the recent Inflation Reduction Act is the latest move. On the latest Us and Them podcast, host Trey Kay hears about Manchin's political legacy in the future. Denise Giardina was born in the Mountain State's coal country. After an unsuccessful run for governor on the Mountain Party ticket, she says the 2016 Democratic presidential primary was a turning point for state politics and her political views. Here's an excerpt from Joe Manchin is Us and Them. I feel like there's a lack of responsiveness. I think people are feeling a lack of listening, like nobody in the Democratic Party is listening to them anymore. I actually feel some of this myself. I'm not a Democrat anymore. I should have said that perhaps earlier. Um, I'm a registered independent now. I could never join today's Republican Party. uh, But uh, I voted for Bernie Sanders in 2016, like a lot of other West Virginia Democrats did. We um, picked Bernie Sanders for president. I think he got 16 percentage points or 17 percentage points more than Hillary Clinton. And when our Democratic delegates went off to the national convention, they cast their votes for Hillary Clinton. And that was a slap in the face to so many people, so many Democrats in this state. And I switched parties at that point to switch to independent. Um, There's a feeling that the Democrats aren't listening to people. And I think that that goes for um, people on the left and also people who are more moderate Democrats who maybe feel that sometimes the Democratic Party has gotten away from things that Bernie Sanders talked about in terms of the economy and um, people's lack of power, people's lack of medical care. You know, Bernie Sanders went to uh, the southwestern part of West Virginia, the coal fields, which have totally flipped to Republican, but he got a very positive response there. Uh, And uh, because he actually went down and met with people while Hillary Clinton never bothered. Uh, And I think there's a sense in West Virginia that that's what the Democratic Party is now. It's sort of elitist. It looks down its nose at rural people. And you see this not just in West Virginia, but uh, across rural America. And uh, the Democratic Party somehow needs to find a way to reconnect with people in those areas, uh, people in rural areas um, who are concerned about pocketbook issues. And I want to be careful about saying this because um, there are issues that I strongly value uh, in terms of things like diversity and inclusion, but those aren't the only issues. There are also economic issues that affect people's day-to-day lives. And the Democratic Party seems to have forgotten how to message that. According to Jardina, West Virginians are very aware of elitist, progressive criticisms of their politics. What those critics don't realize, though, is that their criticisms have fueled Joe Manchin's popularity. I subscribe to the Washington Post. If I look at comments about Joe Manchin, uh, something he's done or said, uh, and then the comments not only are disparaging of Joe Manchin, but disparaging of West Virginians and those ignorant hillbillies who elected him, uh, and that kind of stuff. We see that, <laughs> you know, and we don't like that. Uh, West Virginians don't, and uh, and so when we see liberals making fun, uh, that's the kind of thing that actually Democrats um, and liberals say. 
that it's just as bad as disparaging other minorities, in a sense. You know, West Virginians, tend, we, we tend to have a chip on our shoulder in terms of the rest of the country and looking down on us and so forth. And so he's kind of appealing to that and saying, I'm not going to do that. And um, that's one way he has thrived politically, I think. That's an excerpt from the latest Us and Them episode. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen online at wvpublic.org. Us and Them is supported by the West Virginia Humanities Council, the CRC Foundation, and the Daywood Foundation. This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. It's 752. Variable cloudiness today, high temperatures in the 60s and low 70s. Mostly clear tonight, lows in the 40s. Tomorrow, partly sunny with highs in the 60s. Saturday, morning frost with partly sunny skies, highs in the 50s. Support for WVPB is provided by CAMC Neurology Services, specializing in treatment of epilepsy, stroke, and headaches. More at camc.org neuro. In August, Congress passed the Honoring Our PACT Act, intended to significantly improve health care access and funding for veterans who were exposed to toxic substances during military service. As Chris Schultz reports, a team at West Virginia University is studying how exposure to toxic substances from military burn pits affect veterans' health. Inside the West Virginia University Inhalation Facility Lab, senior research engineer Travis Goldsmith prepares a modified pellet stove for an experiment. We kind of ripped out the guts of it and kind of made it our own. So we added a lot of different sensors. Uh, we got a jet fuel line now so we can drip that on one, control the speed of the auger, we control the speed of the fan. Goldsmith and his colleagues are studying the potential health impacts of burn pits, an incineration method used by the U.S. military to manage waste on foreign bases. Since the WVU team can't go out back and build their own burn pit, the finite control the pellet stove offers them is key to managing the compounding variables of a real-world burn pit. Temperature of burn, distance from the source, and the materials burned are just a few examples. As the stove turns on, pellets meant to mimic burn pit components are automatically fed into the stove. Um, And I believe we're going to start with um, rubber, plastics, uh, styrofoam, uh, cardboard, and just regular wood chips with sawdust. Basically, like I said, try to mimic what happens at the actual uh, burn pits. According to the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs, open-air combustion of trash and other waste in burn pits was a common practice in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other areas of the Southwest Asia theater of military operations. The Department of Defense has now closed out most burn pits and is planning to close the remainder. Timothy Nurkowitz is the chair of West Virginia University's Department of Physiology and Pharmacology as well as the director of the inhalation facility. Uh, In camping, 
what you pack in, you pack out and leave nothing behind. At a military base, what they pack in when they're done, everything is destroyed. And that's achieved by burning it in a burn pit. It ranges from simple things like paper and wood to more complex things like styrofoam and rubber, fluids like hydraulic fluid, paint, coatings, batteries, computers, human waste, as well as surgical waste. There's essentially no limit. When veterans started returning from the 1991 Gulf War, many began presenting with chronic, unexplained symptoms. The symptoms varied widely from fatigue and muscle pain to cognitive issues. Theories as to the illness's source range from vaccines to exposure to depleted uranium. Hundreds of thousands of soldiers are returning back as veterans, and they are over the years, presenting uh, now with what is referred to as chronic multi-symptom illness. Instances of chronic multi-symptom illness, or CMI, have only increased with the U.S. military's continued presence in the Middle East. But often it takes months or years for symptoms to present in veterans. The disease is not well understood. But a leading theory now is that the broad health impacts are caused by exposure to burn pit exhausts. And that is first and foremost in our research, is to identify what is that lag between exposure and ultimate effect that a person is aware that there is something wrong. Burn pit emissions often wafted across a base or outpost, and therefore the suspected toxicants from the burn had the potential to impact every soldier and service member on the base, regardless of whether they worked directly on the pit or not. We haven't even started considering things like skin exposures or ocular exposures or secondhand exposures. So it's not limited to just the lungs. The lungs are our focus right now because it is the most reasonable place to start. But there should be studies looking at these alternate routes of exposure. Research scientist Anand Ranpara is analyzing the soot and smoke created by the lab's pellet stove to get a better understanding of its composition and impact on the lungs. He says they have found compounds like naphthalene and benzene at nanoscopic scales, meaning the tiny particles can easily bypass the lungs' defense mechanisms and enter the bloodstream. They have also identified toxic gases such as nitrogen oxides and sulfur oxides in their experiments. We are not talking about only one or two impacts. It's not one plus one is two. It could be more than two. <laughs> so you have particles and you have gases. Both are going to cause the health impacts and it could be exponential. And that's exactly what our working hypothesis is building up to. The team's work is ongoing and Nurkowitz is asking for the help of veterans to better understand the issue. We are not veterans. So in that capacity, we would like to ask anyone who who may want to contribute to the project, please reach out to us with, with your information. However, uh, uh, however small you may think it is, it's something that we don't know, uh, and we need your input, and, and I'm asking for that. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Chris Schultz in Morgantown. West Virginia Morning is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting, which is solely responsible for its content. You can keep up with the latest West Virginia news throughout the day on our website, wvpublic.org. Support for our news bureaus comes from West Virginia University, Concord University, and Shepherd University. West Virginia Morning is produced with help from Bill Lynch, Caroline McGregor, Curtis Tate, Amelia Nicely. Chris Schultz, David Adkins, Eric Douglas, Jessica Lilly, Liz McCormick, Randy Yowie, and Shepard Snyder. 
Caroline McGregor is our assistant news director, and she produced today's show. I'm your host, Teresa Wills. This is West Virginia Morning.